Welcome in, Hoop fans. This is Pickin' Pod, our fifth episode of the season. I am Andrew Posadas, and this week, pleased to be joined alongside Thomas Quigley. Quigs, it's been a while. I don't know if we've done a Pickin' Pod ever, and if we have, I feel like it might have been, what, you know, 40, 50 years ago, maybe? Yeah, I think, I think this might be the first time since uh, the uh, prehistoric ages. But uh, no, it's great to be back. Great to be back on and uh, couldn't choose a better partner. Oh man, pleased to be joined alongside you today, my friend. And uh, a lot to get into in this episode. Quiggs and I, we will go over ESPN's current power rankings, tell you what we think are the Jazz for real. The Lakers, the Clippers, have they taken their place as the top two teams in the NBA by far, head and shoulders? We'll talk early MVP conversations. Obviously, a a lot of guys out there with a lot of great storylines when you think about the two bigs and Jokic, Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant, LeBron James after what he did to Cleveland, 46. A A lot of great MVP candidates so far after about 18 to 20 games. We'll also get in to the NBA and its Players Association, their decision to perhaps host an all-star game this season. Quiggs and I will talk about that and discuss if it's really worth it. And towards the end of the show, we will look back and reminisce, reflect on the one-year anniversary of Kobe Bryant's death. Obviously, it is a year to the day now. Today is January 26th, uh, a year since that tragic helicopter accident that claimed the lives of Kobe Bryant his daughter, Gianna, and seven others. But Quiggs, let's stay and start on the court with ESPN's power rankings. Just came out hot off the presses on Monday. And right now at the top five, Quiggs, the Los Angeles Lakers, the defending champs at one. Their counterparts in Los Angeles, the Clippers, come in at number two. The Utah Jazz have powered their way into number three. At four, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Milwaukee Bucks round out the top five. So, Quiggs, I think the first question I have to ask you is, are the Utah Jazz really for real right now? I mean, this is a team that is on a a winning streak right now. They've won eight straight, and now they'll look to extend that against the Knicks Tuesday night. Quiggs, how serious should we be taking this Utah Jazz team? Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say we should take it a little more seriously than Shaq is taking it right now. He took a <laughs> shot at Donovan Mitchell Saturday night, and I thought it was a little unfair because Donovan Mitchell, after what we saw in the playoffs last year, you know, he only played seven games, but he put up all-star numbers, superstar numbers, basically. Uh, so I think we've seen him in crunch time, and despite giving up that 3-1 uh, loss to the – or series loss um, to the Nuggets in the first round, He's shown that he can, he can carry this team when he needs to. And over this eight-game stretch, it's, they've been the best team in the league. Um, so I'm going to go out and say that I would put them at number two in the league right now, right behind the Lakers, who, of course, are the defending champions and can't really be uh, contested for that crown yet. Uh, no, no other team has really shown yet that they can come for that crown. But I would put Jazz – at number two, just because of, you know, the way that Rudy Gobert is averaging a double-double. Donovan Mitchell is playing even better than he was last year uh, through the first 16 games. I think they're for real. Yeah, I mean, first of all, Shaq, 
I mean, what kind of crazy reverse psychology? Because he tells him, you know, I don't think you have what it takes. And then after Donovan Mitchell just says, all right, all right, people have been telling me that since my rookie year. Shaq goes on and says, well, yeah, that, that, that's what I've been wanting to wait from here from you. Like, no, Shaq, you, you wanted him to come at you and go hard and try and argue and, and combat what you said and go back and forth. But Donovan wasn't just having that. And that's the type of energy you need. I mean, during this eight-game winning streak, Spider is averaging 27 a night, and he's shooting 51% from the floor, 50% from deep, and 90% from the line. So he's on a roll. And, and Quiggs, this is, why, this is why I think this Jazz team is different this season. Their three-point shooting is out of control. They're making 17 threes a night. They've made 20 threes in six games this season. I think that's been the knock on the Jazz. We know how good defensively they are with Rudy Gobert there as their anchor in the paint. But it was always about offensively. Can they get enough? Donovan Mitchell isn't going to be enough. Rudy Gobert isn't a guy who's going to give you 20-plus a night. That's not his game. So that's what it comes down to with the Jazz. Can they score enough to stay in these games, especially when they get into the postseason and you're facing some potent offenses when you think about the Lakers, when you think about the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Mavericks? I mean, those are tough tough series where you have to be able to score 100 plus points consistently if you want to move on in the Western Conference come playoff time. So again, I think if this offense can hold up, if they can hold this pace and they can continue to stay hot from three, they are going to be the one team in the West that nobody is going to want to see come playoff time. And I think a team that can really pose some matchup problems, especially defensively with what they can do and the guys that they have to kind of throw at bodies. I think the Jazz right now, if this offense keeps this pace up, I don't see any reason for them not to finish top three in the West. Yeah, I mean, the commentary around the league is that they remind everyone of, of what the Warriors were just a few years ago, just drowning you in threes. And, and if you can't, you know, like come back to that or you can't combat that, it's kind of a, it will kill you in the playoffs, especially with the massive uh offenses or the high-powered offenses that that uh surround the league you know if if you're number one there it's it's hard to lose so if they can keep that going especially when it comes to playoff time then you know watch out for the jazz and, and quicks that's crazy steve kerr compared the jazz to the warriors but if everyone remembers right there are four hall of famers on that warriors team they had steph they had Clay, you had Dre. Oh, and of course you had KD who won two finals MVPs in that stretch of time. So I don't know if they're the Warriors. They're shooting it like the Warriors. I don't know if they have as much star power as the Warriors do. But no, the Jazz are off to a good start, 12-4. and four. And I think for Donovan Mitchell, he's kind of really relished that role of of being in that backcourt. Mike Conley, after his injuries last season, looks like he's back to 100%. You had Bogdanovich when they lost him in the bubble. That was a real backbreaker for them, especially on the offensive side. So, so I think for the Jazz, again, they're in great position, and they've been one of the nice surprises after how the bubble ended for them, a really nice bounce back and start to the season. Quiggs, I do want to look a bit further down outside of the top five because at seven – we have those Brooklyn Nets with that big three of KD, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. Obviously, the Nets were successful on Monday night, beating the Miami Heat. So at this point, they're seventh right now, Quiggs. But how long do you think it's going to be? How many more power rankings are we going to see ESPN release before the Nets break into the top five and even break into the top three? 
last night, what I saw in the fourth quarter makes me think that it's just a matter of time before they get into the top five. They, they didn't shoot well last night. They really just didn't. Uh, KD was below 30%. I think Kyrie was shooting 35% from the field. Um, but it didn't matter in the end. In the fourth quarter, tie game, five minutes left. They turned on the Jets, went on a 15-0 run. Uh, Harden was, I think, had 10 points in the fourth quarter. And it seemed like every possession, Kyrie was getting a steal. And they would go back and take advantage of it. Before you knew it, the Heat were blown out of the water and had no chance of coming back in the game. It was really impressive and it honestly just very scary to see how that big three can just feed off each other, especially in the late uh, portion of the fourth quarter. Those three players lead the league individually in fourth quarter scoring. That's something to look out for if you're any one of the other 29 teams in the league. Yeah, I tweeted during that, first, that fourth quarter, pick your poison, because that's what it is at this point. When you got three guys like that who can all take over and, and can give you buckets on that end down the stretch, I mean, that's just so invaluable. And when you think about that slow start that the Nets had in the first quarter and in the first half, those are the type of games that you probably end up losing where it's just not your night, the shots are not falling, and, and you probably end up losing a, a close game that if a few shots go your way, you should have won. But again, and, and I think a lot of people can say, well, Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero wasn't there. And that is the case. They were missing two of their better offensive players. But the Nets played really good defense. I think they were active. They were in passing lanes, getting hands, getting steals. And I think doing enough to make this Miami Heat team really struggle, especially in the second half, and not get into that rhythm uh, other than Bam Adebayo, who was trying to change the name from the Barclays Center to the Bam Clay Center. I mean, he's had two phenomenal games in Brooklyn. Uh, aside from Bam, they did a great job of running shooters off of the three-point line. Duncan Robinson, those guys not able to be effective with the guards from the Nets, those perimeter defenders. And again, you mentioned it. At some point, if the game is close and you're heading into the fourth quarter, it kind of just feels like only a matter of time before either KD gets hot or Kyrie gets hot or, or James Harden gets hot. And, and the crazy part is, is there going to be times where two of them are going to be hot in the fourth or all three of them. So at this point, as, as long as Steve Nash knows, hey, one of my three superstars, they're going to be fine. I, I should have one of them hot in any given game. I, I think that bodes well for them. And I think defensively, we're hearing rumblings that they might get JaVale McGee. A lot of people are even saying that, you know, Andre Drummond might be in the mix with all the bigs that Cleveland has. So if Brooklyn is able to get their hands on a rim protector and get maybe a couple of more bigs to kind of bolster that front court, uh, this is a team that quickly can become the most complete team. Obviously, LeBron and AD, they're not going anywhere. But when we just talk about the, the star power, the depth, especially how top-heavy the Brooklyn Nets are, uh, as you mentioned, uh, I feel like it'll be a week or two, but the Brooklyn Nets will obviously be top three. And again, I think at this point, everyone is just waiting for a Lakers-Nets finals, right, Quiggs? I think that's what, I mean, we're hoping for. Obviously, there are great teams, especially in the Western Conference. There are other great teams who could make a run to the championship. But I think what the people want, we need Brooklyn and L.A. in the finals. Yeah, it definitely seems like the way it's trending right now. I think I saw a meme last week after – the Cavs beat the Nets twice in a row, uh, which, you know, <laughs> surprised pretty much everyone um, that a Adam Silver's on the phone with someone saying, all right, we're going to get Cavs Lakers for the finals. Obviously that's not how the NBA works, you know, hopefully. Um, and that's certainly not going to happen, but it does seem right. Like right now that might be the most obvious outcome. 
even though, you know, they're still sitting at 10, 10 and eight, maybe 11 and eight after, after last night. Um, but you know, it's only a matter of time before they start clicking with each other. Uh, and really the way that, that they can just feed off each other in late game or in the late portion of the games when it matters most, it almost like last night felt like when they're on the bench, like with five minutes left, they all just looked at each other and they said, all right, let's just go ahead and win it. And they did. And they just completely blew them out of the water. Um, I, I, I think that's probably the most likely outcome that we have is a, uh, is a Brooklyn LA final and it's not going to be the Clippers, but we'll see. <laughs> I mean, and again, the Brooklyn Nets, uh, they're only going to get better. That's what's so scary about it. The chemistry is only going to get better. That cohesion, just everyone, you know, getting on the same page because again, these guys, I think the only time that these three have really played together is on Team USA. And even then, you know, the rotations are different. You're not always on the court at the same time. But they have practiced together. And, and the more time they get, you know, off the court to kind of gel as a team in the locker room, that, I mean, winning, winning Monday night's game, I think that bodes well for what the mentality is, kind of the mindset of this Brooklyn Nets team. They know the noise. They know what the expectations are. It's championship or bust. Uh, KD and Kyrie, especially Steve Nash, they understand now that they have James Harden, everyone is expecting them to be at top of the East come postseason time and getting to the NBA Finals and ultimately competing for a championship. So the expectations are lofty for Brooklyn, but I think so far they've taken it well. And over time, and as the season progresses, this is a team that should only get better. And if they can add a few bigs and get their size and get more defenders, you know, get some guys who are more defensive oriented. I mean, the sky really is the limit for the Brooklyn Nets and Quiggs. When we talk about, you know, the top teams, I think we should talk about maybe some early MVP candidates. When you look at the standings right now in the Eastern Conference, you know, Philly, at the top right now, they hold a 12-6 and six record. Boston right behind them at 10-6. and six. Milwaukee tied also at 10-6. and six. That's the top three in the East and the top three in the West. Obviously, Lakers, Clippers, and the Jazz, as we mentioned, three of the teams in the top five of ESPN's power rankings. But so far, Quiggs, this MVP conversation is interesting because there's a lot of different ways you can go. Obviously, a lot of people are talking about the bigs and how the bigs are kind of, you know, they've transitioned their games. Obviously, you know, you can no longer be a traditional low post big who gives you, uh, you know, 20 and eight a night. And the only thing you do is back guys down and work on your moves. Kind of like an Al Jefferson, not too long ago, you know, the position has changed and two guys who have been kind of at the forefront of that position, Joel Embiid and the Joker, Nikola Jokic. And so far, They've both been spectacular. I mean, Jokic is averaging, he's averaging, what, over nine assists. He's leading the league in assists as a big. Joel Embiid, he's having crazy, I mean, he's going 27 and 11. And the Sixers are 0-4 when he's not in the lineup. So that only proves how much, how much valuable, or how much value, excuse me, Joel has had for the Sixers and for Coach Doc Rivers. And think about that. He got cast out of L.A., goes to Philly, says, don't worry. I'm going to try and make Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid work. We're not trading anybody. We're going to add some shooters around them. And so far, it's resulted in being atop the Eastern Conference through 18 games for Philly. So, again, you got those two guys. And then I mentioned LeBron James, 46 against the Cavs. He's shooting over 40%. 
from beyond the arc. He is having in year 18, I mean, he just continues to age like fine wine, Quiggs. I mean, most people these days are aging like milk. Let's put it how it is. He is aging like the finest of wine that you'd find somewhere in Europe or somewhere in the Napa Valley. I don't know. But again, LeBron, his name is right there averaging a a cool 25, 7, and 7. And then again, we look at Kevin Durant. We just talked about Brooklyn. You know, he's coming back from an 18-month layoff, still averaging over 30, shooting it as efficient as can be. We didn't know what version we were going to get of him. Quiggs, help me out here. Who, who do you think has kind of taken the early lead here in the MVP conversation? I mean, I got to go with LeBron, especially after last night. He, he <laughs> scored 25 in the first three quarters. Here's someone in the uh, – in the, I think it was a Cavaliers front office uh, staff member cheer when he missed a shot to end the third quarter. He looks over at them, nods, says, okay, and goes on to drop 21 points in the fourth quarter at age 36. It's really unparalleled what he's doing right now. You know, otherwise, other than maybe what Tom Brady is doing in the NFL, it's, it's insane how these two guys are just able to make a deal with the devil or father time, whatever you want to call it. And, just stay at the top of their game, even though everyone around them, you know, seems to fall off right around where they are. It's insane. But, you know, like you said, LeBron's averaging 24 points a game, over eight and a half rebounds a game. He's taking, he's pretty much keeping the Lakers afloat, more than afloat, keeping them in first place in the West. while Anthony Davis is going through a cold streak where he's averaged under, he scored under 20 points in, I think, six of the last seven. It's, it's truly remarkable, so I, I have to put him at number one. But I'm also looking out for Luka Doncic. You know, everyone says, like, eventually it, it, this guy's going to be an MVP. It's not about if, it's about when. And right now he's, he's averaging over 27 points a game, nine rebounds a game, eight assists a game. And I, I don't – he's just – he's a very young talent, and we're, you know, he's already shown in his first uh, three years, I think, uh, that he's – far and away, you know, the best player on, on the Mavs. And one, he's going to be one of the best players in the West, if not now, then very soon. I think he's definitely a contender when it comes down to it. But, of course, we're about 20 games into the season, so there's plenty of, plenty of basketball left to be played. I'm going to say my top two are LeBron and Luka. I will say this. I didn't mention Luka only because the Mavs are eight and nine. So if you're under 500 – as great as he's been, I can't put you in the conversation, especially in the way too early conversation. And again, this is a shortened season. It's only 72 games this year. So even through 20 games, I think you're kind of getting a good look at, at who the better teams are in the NBA and maybe who, who's going down. I mean, obviously there are some teams that are right there and, and, you know, the next 10 game stretch, the next 15 game stretch could be crucial. Some teams could start making their way up and becoming part uh, of the cream of the crop in their respective conferences. But uh, until the math start turning things around, I, I can't put Luca in that conversation. Now you make a great point about LeBron James. I mean, year 18, it feels like LeBron can win the MVP every single year and I think voters just kind of got burnt out by him after he won his fifth and then they were just like all right let, let's start giving it to other people they give it to Derrick Rose Steph Curry gets two of them in a row uh, and and LeBron just kind of gets lost in the shuffle but again you mentioned that that Cavaliers game and after that front office member from the Cavs starts you know chirping a bit after LeBron misses that shot at the end of the third quarter LeBron responds with 21 in the fourth and just lets everybody in that arena know that 
the only reason why there's a banner, a banner, excuse me, hanging up in those rafters that says NBA championship 2016 is because I put this whole city and this team on my back to beat one of the greatest teams in NBA history in the Golden State Warriors who had broken that 72 game record. They won 73. So again, LeBron just kind of putting everyone back on notice. Like even in year 18, I can still do this. And it was crazy because we mentioned Kobe and LeBron had this fadeaway on the baseline and somebody on Twitter put up, you know, a, a, a comparative between that and a fadeaway that Kobe had in a game. And it was just so eerily similar that I just kind of felt that maybe Kobe was there w- with LeBron in spirit, just, you know, kind of going into LeBron's ear and be like, you gonna let that guy chirp at you and say, you know, that you can't do this anymore. You're getting old. Like that, that ain't you. And then LeBron was like, you know what? They must've forgot. I must've forgot. Let me put everyone back on check. But again, I think LeBron, he's firmly right there. I think it's between him, Kevin Durant, if Kevin Durant can stay healthy and Brooklyn continues to ascend. And I'm going to say Joel Embiid. And I mean, Jokic is, you know, Jokic is absolutely balling himself. But Joel Embiid, to me, is he is so dominant. And I think when we talk about most valuable, if you're seeing what Philly is doing with him on the court versus what they're doing off the court, they don't operate the same on either end. Joel Embiid is their best defender. He is their rim protector. He is the anchor down there. And then on offense, he can do so much, whether it be on the block, he can stretch you out, hit that mid-range jump shot, hit that three-point jump shot. He's also a great passer. If he wants to, he could be up there averaging more assists, but that's not what it calls for, especially when Ben Simmons is really your point forward. So again, when you're seeing the Sixers and now they go 0-4 without Joel, if the Sixers can kind of stay up there in the top two of the Eastern Conference, I think Joel Embiid is going to get serious consideration if he ends up averaging 28 and 12. I mean, those are great numbers in themselves. But again, his injury, you know, his health is really the ultimate deciding factor. And, you know, we don't know if Philly is going to stay up there. Obviously, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Boston, even Indiana, they've played well. I mean, those teams are going to be right at their heels. And it's no guarantee that Philly is going to stay there in the top two or the top three of the East when we get, you know, to game 72. So again, I think at this point, it's a battle between LeBron and KD, just like it's been over, what, the last five or six years, people saying, you know, who's better, LeBron or KD? Has KD supplanted LeBron as the league's best player? And then KD going away, getting injured, and having to come back now and showing people he is still the Kevin Durant we know and love. I mean, that it's going to be hard to pick. If they keep this up, who do you go with? LeBron in his 18th year, still giving you just superstar stats or Kevin Durant coming back from that 18-month layoff, from that Achilles injury, and showing you that he can still be the league's best scorer and arguably, Quiggs, the best offensive player we've ever seen. So I think if this holds true, the MVP race between LeBron and KD, that's going to be something that we're going to be looking down the line in April towards the end of the season. I mean, it's going to be back and forth. I will say that I think the James Harden trade probably makes Katie's chances slimmer just because, you know, the voters will see, all right, well, he has two superstars right next to him. So like, obviously he's able to go out every night and, and, you know, shatter the scoring like records day in and day out. But um, like you said about Joel Embiid, that I, the way that, the, that Philly ended their season last year uh, was just not at all, you know, what, what they had planned. It's not what the process predicted, uh, 
And it's pretty amazing to see how they've bounced back this year and now lead the East. And, you know, that's credit to Joel Embiid in many ways. Um, but, yeah, I mean, KD will certainly have his work cut out for him to distinguish himself among, you know, the, his two teammates and, of course, against one of the greatest of all time, LeBron James. No, you raise a very good point about Kevin Durant. And again, when you have James Harden and then you also have Kyrie Irving, you have, you know, two other superstars, voters may kind of get, you know, swayed away and go vote for LeBron or somebody else rather than for KD. We've seen that be the case in big threes. Obviously, when LeBron was in Miami, you know, he didn't win the MVP throughout his time there. So again, I think that's something could that could play against KD. But but if he keeps this up where he is the main focal point and he's averaging over 30 points, he leads the league in scoring, I think he could have a very strong discussion. But I could see why voters might be a little dissuaded to vote for him considering that they just added another, you know, top five player, people would argue, uh, a clear top 10 player in the league and James Harden. But again, it's just great to see our superstars, our all-stars really, you know, just solidifying themselves. Because again, we didn't have basketball. We got it in the bubble. Now we're getting this shortened 72 game season. Just great to see, you know, these LeBron James in in year 18 doing it, KD doing it after an Achilles. Uh, Just great to see our superstar players uh, just giving us really what basketball what is it, basketball heaven for us? I mean, just seeing KD score effortlessly like that, coming back from an injury, LeBron still doing it when he's like, what, what is LeBron, 148 years old now? <laughs> doing, I mean, I think in, in, in sports years, he's like 150, him and Tom Brady, I, whoever their nutritionists are, those people aren't getting paid enough. They should be getting paid millions quick. I'm talking about millions of dollars. They should be negotiating because what they've been able to do, Brady – and LeBron just preserving their bodies and, and kind of avoiding father time. It's almost like father time is walking around. And it's like, all right, you know, I, I got, um, I'm going to get Aaron Rodgers. I'm, I'm getting him. I just got Phillip Rivers. And on the NBA side, you know, I got Dwayne Wade. You know, I'm getting Carmelo soon. But, you know, LeBron, Tom, they just, I, I, where, where are these guys? I keep going into that and I keep knocking on the door. But LeBron and Brady, they're not opening it. And again, I think it's a testament. To, to their legacies and what they've been able to do longevity wise. So again, the MVP conversation will absolutely be fun to watch over the next couple of months. Quigs, I want to transition over to some big news that we heard on Monday uh, from the NBA and its players association. Right now they are discussing the possibility of holding an all-star game in early March with Atlanta emerging as the likely site, the NBA has a midseason break set for March 5th to the 10th. And again, the NBA has not released their second half schedule as of yet. Obviously, with all the postponements, we've had 22 games postponed currently. So again, the NBA waiting a bit so that they can reschedule other games before they officially release that second half of their season schedule. But Quiggs, when I look at this from the NBA's perspective, and obviously, This all-star game would also be benefiting a lot of HBCUs, a lot of donations and money going into that and kind of spotlighting those universities, those colleges. But considering what the pandemic is right now, and it's still currently, currently a serious thing, we are not out of this. We're not out of the woods by any means. And when I, you know, just mentioning the 22 games that have already been postponed, when you think about teams like the Wizards who've missed, I think they missed 12 or 13 games already this season and teams who have been impacted and have had to miss, you know, a week or two just to come back and play games again. 
as much as we want to see the best players out there, let's be honest, the All-Star Game is a glorified exhibition where guys are, are happily content to not play defense until maybe the last two minutes of the fourth quarter if it's close. But, I mean, this is just, you know, a scoring show for the fans. You know, dunks, shots, you know, the works on offense. And I think you'll agree with me. I just don't think this is a good look. This just isn't a great idea for the NBA to put its all-stars, its best players at risk and coaches, staff members. I just don't think this is a good idea on Adam Silver's part. It's not just not a good idea. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> the NBA all-star game, it's, it's probably like most similar to – the Super Bowl in the way that it's, it's just a fanfare experience. People from all around the world come to, you know, one central location and basically it's a celebration of the game. Uh, but the huge difference between those two is that the Super Bowl matters no matter what. And I can honestly say that I have no idea whether team Giannis or team LeBron won the all-star game last year. And I'm not curious enough to even Google it because it just does not <laughs> matter. Uh, it's, I mean, the three point contest, dunk contest, celebrity game, rising stars game, they're all fun. Obviously, probably none of that would, uh, you know, maybe the three-point contest and the dunk contest would happen. No celebrity game, obviously. Um, these titles don't matter. They, they come with bragging rights to a certain extent, but they're mostly just designed to create an atmosphere of hype of the sport. Um, and it's just not necessary, especially when you can't even get games played because you have continuous outbreaks among, like, among the league. Uh, it's, it seems like it's just kind of, there's, there's almost like, other than, you know, the, 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 philanthrop the philanthropic idea behind the HBCU, uh, I, that entire idea is, you know, obviously great and would certainly provide some uh, reasoning to maybe host the All-Star Game. But I still don't think that it's good enough when there's an active pandemic going on. There's 400,000 Americans who have died since March. Uh, Last year, you know, the All-Star Game had maybe its most significance of all time because they honored Kobe Bryant, the, the yeah. career, life, and legacy. Uh, and it was less than a month after his tragic death. Uh, but I think this year, the best way to honor the legacy of those 400,000-plus Americans who have lost their life because of this pandemic would be to eliminate all All-Star Weekend activities. Yeah, and again, I was being nice, but you're right. This really is a terrible idea from the standpoint that you're going to risk in that period of time. And again, that break in March is only five days. So that's a five day window for you to potentially, you know, get an all-star game in. Cause again, when you think about it, it just, to me, anything can happen. Imagine if somebody tests positive and you don't get the test result until like we saw it with the, with the Sixers and Seth Curry, he didn't know he tested positive until what midway or, or going to the end of the first quarter. And he was out there with his mask down talking to his teammates in the huddle. So again, what if somebody tests positive, doesn't know it, they're there, you know, obviously all-star games, you have your practices, warmups where you're around the guys around both squads. So again, that could, potentially create an outbreak where now multiple teams are affected because they're without their best players. Cause again, this is the all-star game. You are sending the league's best players down there and you're sending 
the best coaches, the top coach from the East and the top coach from the West is going to have to go down there. Then the better coaching staffs, the, the top teams are going to have to send their coaching staffs down there. Trainers, even without media and fans, you're still sending a bunch of people down there to be around each other for whatever the case may be, a two or three day period of time. It just feels too risky to me. And again, I know Chris Paul has said, you know, he's been a proponent of the idea of showcasing and benefiting these HBCUs and COVID-19 relief funds as well. Again, and sources have said that that the Atlanta Hawks Arena State Farm or, or one of the Atlanta-based HBCU campus gyms, they're under consideration to house a potential game. That's incredible. That's dope. I'm with that. But I think you can showcase HBCUs and help them and donate money. Just cut the check. We're in social media, right? How about you know, once a week or, or some case, take some time to showcase a different HBCU, showcase alums who have gotten to the NBA or who have done things that are important to the country, uh, you know, innovators, you know, showcase them. You can do that on social media and throughout broadcasts and telecasts. I don't think you need the all-star game to do so. I think that's something that the NBA can easily set up, especially with things being virtual. And this is what it'd be. A lot of the fanfare, all that would be virtual based. So I think in this time, uh, amid the circumstances, I think there's just another way to go about kind of, you know, if you want to showcase HBCUs and donate to COVID-19 relief funds, I think you can do that without putting the league's best players and others at risk for a few days. Because at this point, we know with covid it spreads so fast. If somebody has it, there's chances that due to contact tracing, others are going to have it. And I think the risks uh, just outweighs the rewards in this case. Yeah. I mean, and I'm usually not one to side with the NFL on any of their decision-making uh, from up top, but their decision to not host a pro bowl and yet still have, uh, you know, players that are worthy enough to be you know, elected to the pro bowl uh, still honor them. If the, the NBA should just, completely take that page out of their book uh there's really you know it's, it's, as you said the, the risks just do not outweigh the reward or the reward does not outweigh the risk uh rather and you know it's it, it's almost like it kind of feels like it might be like a money grab situation you know it's, it's a business and they want tv ratings and they know they'll get a lot of tv ratings for all-star game uh but you know it's just it's just not worth it no yeah and you mentioned it right there that's that's the key word money because again, they could easily, the NBA could easily do what you just said, how the NFL went about it. Just name your all-stars, give them their recognition and go from there. And that's it. And you can just, you know, all right, let's take the next five days, give everyone a break. And then let's start with the second half of the season and getting to 72 games so we can go and have a postseason. And if they go back to a bubble, who knows? They might just stick with this format and let teams travel. We don't know. Obviously, the NBA hasn't given us any indication. But again, just, you know, announce who the All-Stars are for each team. Give them their flowers. Give them their recognition. And move on and get ready for the second half of the season. Uh, again, I think at this point, the NBA has lost a lot of money in revenue. And I think this is something where they're thinking, yeah, you know, we can help COVID-19. We're going to showcase HBCUs. But again, th there's going to be revenue and money going into the owner's pocket, into the league's pocket, and into the players' pockets. You know, especially the All-Stars who go down there. You know, if there are any rewards for them. You know, the winning team, obviously, we've seen that in the past. Uh, with the winning team getting a certain amount of money. So, uh, again, I think there are going to be financial incentives there for everyone involved. So, again, I just don't think, you know, obviously we're talking about millions of dollars and you and I don't know what that's like. 
So it's hard to turn that down, but I think they should be mindful of knowing, hey, this isn't the ideal situation for an all-star game, for an all-star weekend. Let's just name our all-stars and kind of, you know, proverbially punt on this weekend and get ready for the second half of the season. And it's funny too, because we're seeing more teams, Quigs, kind of allowing fans back into the arenas and, you know, um, starting this week, this is a great story. I brought this up to you yesterday and we had a bit of a chuckle over it, but the Miami heat, they're taking a different approach to screening for COVID and allowing, you know, limited fans to come back to their arenas. Quigs, the heat, are going to be using coronavirus-sniffing dogs at American Airlines Arena to screen fans who want to attend games, and they've been working on this plan for months, and these dogs are highly trained. They've been in place for some games this season in which the team has allowed a handful of guests, you know, mostly friends and family. But again, starting this week, a limited number of ticket holders will be in the seats, provided they get past the dogs first. Quigs, I know teams are coming up with different ideas, different ways to get more fans in and to make sure fans do not have COVID and aren't liable to, to spread it to others. What do you think about what the Miami Heat are doing here with coronavirus sniffing dogs? Well, first of all, Floridians might just do any, about anything to avoid COVID regulations. And we've seen <laughs> that over the past 10 months or so, but um I, I definitely see where, where the heat are coming from. The business of sports is, is being decimated right now, really. Uh, not having fans in the stands is, is a huge letdown. It's, it's also somewhat causing you know, TV ratings to drop as well. Uh, and I think many sports teams, especially in, in other leagues, are operating at a loss of income this year simply to avoid a loss of fan interest and probably out of a need to fulfill network, con- network contracts. Um, but come on. COVID sniffing dogs. <laughs> if you have to rely on trained dogs to decide whether you can adequately ensure the health and safety of your fans, players, and staff, you should probably rethink whether you're in the position to allow fans in the first place. Uh, I mean, I, so I think they've been using these in uh, Dubai, uh, the United Arab Emirates, and in Finland in recent months, uh, in airports uh, to screen passengers uh, for COVID. But it seems a little strange and like a little bit, I don't know. It's probably cheaper than rapid tests, but it's still a dog sniffing for COVID. And whether it's, and it seems to be successful for where it's been implemented already. But, you know, if, if you can't ensure the, the health and safety of, of the people that come to your arena, then I don't think that you should rely on dogs to do it. Yeah, this is, this is bizarre because I'm not going to discount the sniffing ability of dogs. I mean, they are, if you give them the scent and my dog Balto, he is not a professional. He's not a canine, hasn't worked at the airport, but just having a dog knowing my dog can sniff anything. If I give him a scent and then hide it and try and just, you know, whether it be food or anything else, he will find it every single time. I mean, I'm not going to discount that, but again, as you mentioned, that is probably the cheaper option than just to what give why not at there screen your fans, give them a rapid test or require fans. Hey, if you want to come to the arena, 
have a PCR test, a negative test within what, three, four days. I think labs have been doing a good job around the country, kind of giving you results in, you know, three to five days. If you can at least provide a negative test within that amount of time, I think that's also something that the NBA should look at. But again, I think every team, every franchise, they're going to try and do their thing to try and come up with some innovative way or something creative to kind of help and adhere to the health and safety protocols. But this just feels more like a, I'm not going to say a publicity stunt, but just something more where, you know, fans are kind of like, oh, look what they're doing. That's interesting. You know, that makes me want to go back. Like, I love the initiative they're taking, you know, bringing dogs. And who doesn't love dogs? We all love dogs. But again, I think they're much more accurate Uh, much more efficient ways to make sure that fans who come into the arenas and and watch games are either negative, immediately negative of COVID, or have at least provided you some clarity that they are negative and have tested negative uh, within a few days span. So again, uh, for the NBA, again, for every professional sports league, navigating COVID is so difficult. And hey, if you can find new and different ways to help you limit, you know, any potential outbreaks, and 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 make sure that you don't have COVID play a factor, whether it be getting other fans sick or, or getting your players or coaches, staff members, getting them and putting them in harm's way. I, I think you have to do what you have to do. I'll give credit to the Heat. Again, I love dogs. So if I get to the arena and a dog has to smell me for COVID, I'm not going to mind that. I mean, that's great. I mean, I probably won't be able to pet him uh, because of the rules. But again, that's fun. Not the most accurate you know, manner for, for making sure people aren't positive. But again, Quiggs, I think we can kind of uh, applaud the Heat's, you know, creativeness and trying to give fans a sense of relief or, you know, a sense that, you know, things are being held uh, to a certain standard where, you know, you're making sure that you're putting fans in prime position when they go to uh, attend games. Yeah. Uh, and we, and I think also the, uh, the Grizzlies are going to start, or they're at least trying to start uh, letting fans sit courtside, which as a player, I would just not be okay with that considering the amount of, you know, uh, protocols that players have to go through where they really not are allowed to just go out anywhere in public other than, you know, their training facilities. Uh, It would kind of really piss me off if there's just a bunch of people who really could go anywhere and maybe passed a minor screening in order to sit right next to the bench. Uh, there's definitely some teams that are taking it more seriously than others. And as much as, you know, I would love to get back into crowded arenas, feel the electric roar of a stadium packed with rabid fans cheering on athletes. We've only been able to see on screen for almost a year now. Um, I'm still not convinced that it's, well, I'm certainly not convinced that we should start, let it, start letting fans sit right next to players for one. And, you know, if, if it comes down to uh, resorting to COVID sniffing dogs in order to uh, fill your stadium, I, I don't know. It seems like it's maybe just not, it's just not the, it's not the right move. It's not what you want as uh, Aaron Boone once said, but, but no, I will say this. I think when you leave teams to their own devices, there's not one set of rules that Adam Silver and the league has implemented as far as fans are concerned. They're allowing teams to kind of, you know, be lenient and kind of, you know, make those big picture decisions as far as having fans in attendance. So this is what's going to happen. Every team is going to go about 
their own business and making sure that they find the ideal way, quote unquote, into making sure everyone is safe, you know, including fans, players, and everyone that, you know, that's in the arenas for any given game. But no, again, I think at the end of the day, you know, you're going to, you know, teams are going to have to miss games. I mean, we've seen already 22 games postponed. It's going to only continue to increase. And I just don't think at this point, as much as, you know, you want fans back in, you want that atmosphere. If you're Memphis, if you're a player on the Grizzlies and there's a loose ball and it's going out of bounds and there's fans right there, do you want to jump and hustle? Do you want to give that extra hustle knowing, hey, I could probably save this ball, but do I really want to because I'm going to jump into three people and one of them doesn't have their mask on at the current moment because they're trying to take a drink of something. And I don't know if they're positive or negative. So again, I think that's something that each team is going to have to manage respectively. And I think they're going to have to go about it cautiously and safely if they want to prevent any outbreaks. Because again, teams are starting, more and more teams are starting to allow fans in and I think franchises are trying to see what they can get away with. How close can we bring the fans back? And I think as the season progresses, we'll see, as you mentioned, Memphis, I think there are other teams who will try and get away with maybe having fans maybe three to five rows down. So right in the action still. We'll see what the NBA does in continuing to go through their season amid the pandemic. But Quiggs, I kind of want to finish up. Um, by uh, looking back, uh, it is January 26th, and uh, on this day, uh, one year ago, uh, we lost one of the greatest basketball players of all time, uh, an icon in the sports world, uh, and Kobe Bryant, you know, him, his daughter Gianna Bryant, and uh, seven other people lost in a tragic helicopter crash, and, you know, we were talking about this before we started recording. The year 2020 felt like it took like a decade. You know, it, it felt like more like a decade than a year. But when I think about today and the anniversary of Kobe Bryant's death, it, that feels like just yesterday, like just last week. Those, that's one of those things that, that when we, you know, 20, 30 years, whatever the case may be down the line, that'll be a conversation starter for our generation. Where were you when, when Kobe Bryant passed? And uh, again, just the wound still feels there. It just, it, it still feels, doesn't feel real it's just surreal to know that we don't have Kobe Bryant anymore and it's just even after a year just still hard to digest uh not being able to hear from Kobe and to see Gianna as she tried to pursue a potential basketball career and for the seven other people who lost their lives for their families uh, it's still even a year later just does not feel real yeah Kobe's death really brought a feeling of dread to pretty much everyone in the sporting community. Uh, even those like myself as a Celtics fan who have always actively rooted against him and rooted for him to fail, you know, it just didn't, it just felt terrible. And, and that feeling really just hasn't stopped in the past 12 months because we went from grieving over Kobe and Gianna and the seven other lives lost uh, to grieving over, over our own loved ones who have been taken from us from this pandemic. So it's just, it's so strange it's just been 12 months of just like dreariness, cloudiness. And it, and it seems like it just all started with Kobe's death. Um, But what we're lucky is that, you know, we got to see him on the court for 20 years. We got to see him shatter records, rewrite history, amaze us with his athletic abilities night in and night out. Um, But the tragic, the tragedies that we were robbed of, you know, his second act, his, uh, as a mentor, you know, as, as, as a coach, you know, 
a youth coach, as an advocate for women's athletics. And at the heart of it, you know, Gianna, one of his proudest accomplishments, his daughter um, going down with him, it's, it's just, it's hard to, uh, it's, it's so hard to digest, uh, especially because, you know, both of them had such a future ahead of them. And it was it's just like fate robbed, robbed everyone of it. And it just has seemed like nothing's felt real since that, right? Like nothing's felt real. Uh, so, you know, the only, the only good thing I think that or slightly, you know, slightly happy thing that happened after that was, you know, the Lakers winning a championship. I thought that was the ultimate poetic justice. Um, and despite, you know, me always rooting for the Lakers to fail, that was, you know, one championship where I felt, hey, I, there's no reason to sulk over this. This is, this is what Kobe deserved. It's great that LeBron, one of his, one of his great friends, uh, was able to bring the, the next title home. And uh, it, it was, you know, the most bitter of sweet moments for any Laker fan and any basketball fan. Yeah, I mean, it's tough for me because that weekend, it's so vivid because I, I remember, you know, that weekend here at WFUV, uh, Emmanuel Barbari, uh, former WFUV alum, Sam Basil and I uh, traveled with Florida men's basketball to go into St. Louis and, you know, at that time in January, obviously, you know, COVID was a thing, but it had not yet really gotten here to the States and spread as we've seen it do now and affect so many lives. You know, at that time, we didn't think it was going to be as big as it was. And going to St. Louis, I remember just thinking, you know, you know, we're doing another broadcast. You know, I want to see what's good with the barbecue. And then the night before, you know, Emmanuel, Sam and I were, were in our hotel watching LeBron James pass Kobe Bryant. And I remember being on, on Twitter and being on the timeline and seeing Kobe, you know, shout LeBron out and say, congrats, man. And, you know, and I was thinking to myself, you know, I never thought that that would be Kobe's last kind of public statement. You know, at that point, I was thinking, man. I can't wait to see the next Lakers home game to kind of just see LeBron. I know Kobe's going to be there. Gigi's probably going to be there. And Kobe and LeBron are going to embrace. And there's going to be a ceremony just kind of congratulating LeBron on passing Kobe and going up on the all-time scoring list and and being third. Uh, And then, you know, that Sunday morning, we're getting set up at the arena. And, you know, we have the tie line, you know, set up and we're set to the studio quigs, obviously, you know, being, you know, a producer for a lot of broadcasts, you know, we've been connected to the studio. And I remember Chris Hennessy was doing updates that day and uh, maybe like 15 or 20 minutes before tip off, Chris kind of gets into our ear and says, hey, uh, TMZ just dropped news. You know, they're saying Kobe Bryant just passed away. And I swear, I mean, I love Chris, but, you know, part of me wanted to say, hey, don't joke around like that. Like, you know, I wanted to just kind of chastise him, but instead I just kind of thought, you know, it's not real. TMZ is not always accurate. You know, they're kind of tabloidish. You know, you know, this is probably wrong. And then obviously, you know, five, 10 minutes later, you know, it gets confirmed, you know, by other sources, by the sheriff's department in L.A., LAPD and the news outlets there. And I'm not going to lie to you, Quiggs, that's the only time I've done a broadcast for WFUV, a basketball broadcast, whatever the case may be, soccer, and I just didn't want to do that broadcast. And Mike Breen said it best later on that night when the Knicks and the Nets played, and I was listening to him at the beginning saying, you know, hey, you know, I just don't want to be broadcasting today. That's how I felt. And the only time where, you know, I've done a broadcast at FUV and just kind of felt lost, where, 
you know, I didn't want to be doing that. I had to kind of force it and summon that energy to call Fordham men's basketball with St. Louis. But, you know, my heart was kind of broke. I mean, this is a guy you grew up with. This is our MJ. This is our generations. You know, that's our superstar when it comes to basketball. And I always saw Kobe would kind of end up like Bill Russell. He'd be alive until he's 90, giving people the middle finger at at certain events and kind of joking around with, with the younger generation as he continues to kind of you know, be a philosopher, someone to continue bestowing that Mamba mentality to the next generation, the next. And it just for me now, you know, you know, with everything that's happened, I, that's kind of seared into my brain. And I'll never forget where I was. And when I heard the news and, and the night before and the days leading into it, uh, just, you know, absolutely tough. And, you know, just miss Kobe every day. And it's, it's tough, man. You know, what can you say? But I think, the beautiful thing, as you mentioned, uh, the thing we should be optimistic about and proud about is that, you know, his legacy lives on the Mamba mentality, you know, that attitude of striving for excellence, never giving up, being relentless, being fearless and everything that you attack every single day, never giving up and, and never showing fear. Because as Kobe said, if you're, if you're scared to fail, you're probably going to fail. So again, that, that mindset uh, you know, that philosophy, if you would, you know, happy that, you know, Vanessa, you know, his wife, you know, his family and those who loved him, not even in basketball, you're talking about, you know, soccer players, tennis players, football players, all of all those athletes who were fans of his continuing to kind of just bring that legacy forward and make sure that people don't forget Kobe's impact on their lives. So again, uh, just a tough day, but, you know, a day of grief, but again, a day of kind of reminiscing, reflecting, and, and being grateful that, as you mentioned, we were able to witness Kobe's career. And although he didn't get that second half, you know, as far as being a director and a producer and being on that side, uh, as far as film and television is concerned and those type of projects, while he didn't get to fulfill that, you know, he did give us so much in the time here. And for Gigi, you know, someone that, you know, maybe could have gone to the WNBA, probably would have played for UConn and coach Gino Ariema there. But again, a lot, you know, left there to be desired as far as, you know, lives of players and parents and obviously Kobe, the pilot, you know, a lot of a lot of lives unfulfilled in that aspect. But again, something where I hope these families can kind of look back and think about the good times and what they shared with with those who they lost. And for us, kind of just remember Kobe for who he was, you know, a great basketball player, you know, a great mind, somebody who loved the game and loved to give back to the younger player, someone who who wanted others to understand why he loved the game so much and why he he strove and why he he kind of made it his mission to be the greatest basketball player that he could be. So again, a, a tough day here this anniversary, but I think something that we look back on and try and keep our head high and remember the good more so than, than the tragedy. Yeah, I mean, I think LeBron said it better, better than uh... – than most and I'm definitely paraphrasing here but I, he said time heals all but it's going to take time and everyone has a different grieving process and you know it's this is it was a devastating loss it was extremely unfair and and it will probably you know never come to terms with it but as the years go by you know hopefully it serves as a reminder of you know the great achievements he was able to make as a 
player, as a as a father, as you know, all of his his other exploits, as as a uh, filmmaker. You know, he won an Academy Award, which is something that almost every other NBA player cannot claim. Um, but you know, it's it's a it's a good time to remember the the legacy he left and the impact that he had um, across the entire world of sports and pop culture as well. Yeah, and on that note, I, I will just say before we wrap up, Kobe, we miss you, we love you, and we will never let your memory fade off into the sunset. You will always be a key figure to a lot of us who love basketball, you know, quickly and myself included. You know, so again, rest in peace, rest in power, rest in heaven, Kobe Bryant, Gianna Bryant, and the seven others who were lost in that tragic helicopter accident. And on that note, we will wrap things up here on Pick and Pod for Thomas Quigley. I am Andrew Posadas saying thanks for joining us here today, Hoops fans. We will be back with another episode next week. Pick and Pod is a production of WFUV Sports. We miss you, Kobe.